Thanks for tuning in to Kineticast. I'm your host, Bo Sauls. In this episode, we have Dr. Nick Askey from the Broken to Unbroken podcast. I was pretty excited when Dr. Askey said he wanted to do a collaboration piece with Kineticast. He is very well respected in his field, and I have actually learned a lot from him when it comes to pairing active rehab with myofascial treatment. We talk about how to assess, rehab, and treat great toe issues, including the functional pattern changes that happen up the kinetic chain. If you enjoyed today's podcast, please subscribe to Kineticast on your podcast app so you can stay up to date with the new episodes. If you want to find out more about Kineticense, the 3D functional movement screening technology, go to kineticense.com to schedule a free online demo. Here's episode 7, Great Toe Extension and Functional Compensation with Dr. Nick Askey from the Broken to Unbroken podcast. Thank you for tuning in to Kineticast. Today we have Dr. Nick Askey joining me and we're going to be talking about Great Toe Extension, different functional changes that happen when there's a limit to the extension. And then we're going to go into some different functional patterns and just kind of spitball some stuff because Dr. Askey is someone that uh, I actually knew before I became a doc. And he's actually helped me with a lot of my rehab, and I've learned a lot from him. So I wanted to bring him on so we could all share in his knowledge. Doc, thanks for joining us today. You bet, man. I'm uh, still suffering from a little bit of uh, hangover depression from the Badgers basketball (laughs) loss yesterday. And I I think it's a bit of a stretch to call it a loss. It was a throttling. Yeah, I think that was the first thing I said to you when I got here because uh, I walked in, and I know you're a big Wisconsin fan. And I walked in and I said, what happened? Because... I didn't even watch that game because I just assumed with the history, with the team, I mean, you were going to just go to the next round. I have it in my bracket. Oh, any bracket I filled out had them going. Yeah, I had them upsetting the four seed the next round, too. So my bracket is done between them and Marquette. <laughs> yeah, Marquette. Marquette <laughs> pooped the bed for sure. Man, and then what is it? Uh, Iowa State, too, lost, didn't they? I think so. Yeah. Uh, and another four seed went down. A bunch of a uh, bunch of one. Yeah. Not as much as last year, though, because no. last that's what I was. You had the sixteen-one upset last year. Yeah, that wasn't it. Just a that was a blowout. Yeah, Liberty just won. That's what it was, right? Liberty just beat mm-hmm. uh, somebody. Mississippi State was it? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, so now that was. I mean, besides NCAA, we could probably go for hours on yeah. that. <laughs> let's, yeah. let's jump into some movement. Absolutely. Great toe extension is something that I think is missed a lot by a lot of practitioners. And I think it's because there's a lack of knowledge of it. I think there's a lack of being able to assess it, what you're looking for, and the changes that you can see in the body from it too. So what? let's go ahead and have you start this going on. What what you think you look at for it? So people that have listened to me talk and lecture since like 2012 – probably think I have some sort of like big toe foot fetish <laughs> uh, because I'm going to look at the big toe first and foremost for most lower extremity stuff. And if my screen is is negative for things all the way up to the low back or TL junction, I'm going to look down at the big toe. Yeah. Uh, I look at it first for uh, plantar fasciitis. I look at it at, in the, the assessment piece is key because a lot of people, they'll just pull the big toe into extension and they won't anchor that MTP joint yep. to where that ground is putting some force up through that. And if you don't mimic that ground reaction force and then isolate the extension through the big toe, you're going to get a false, like clear result right. because you can pull on a fused bunion and pull it into 30 degrees of extension and you'd be like, oh, that's normal, but the joint is actually fused. You're just blowing 
blowing through the medial arch. You can push passive range of motion farther yeah. than you can push anything else. And that's not what anybody's doing when they're active. They're not passively going through range of motion. They're active. Yeah. So I think that's the issue there. And if you have to look at the way that people will compensate around a stiff big toe. Mm -hmm. uh, and there's two ways that a stiff big toe will kind of form. And it's almost, I explain it to people almost like the two different kinds of atrophy. Like you have disuse atrophy and then <clears throat> you have a neurologic atrophy. So in a stiff big toe, you're going to have someone who is either a, a habitual supinator to where they never really get to toe off because they're they're stuck in that supinated state and they don't have the strength with their peroneus longus to pull that first ray into the ground. So they're really towing off of their second toe. Right. They may have a Morton's foot to where the second toe has more mechanical advantage because it's longer and they're towing off of the second toe. Uh, so that's the first kind of uh, stiffness is they just don't use it because of a biomechanical problem or a foot structure issue with like a stiff, rigid pes cavus foot. Yeah. Uh, and the second kind of type is something that it, it may be like a chronically untreated turf toe or someone goes and gets a bunion surgery um, and that toe is inherently stiff, so they just avoid it. So it's one of those chicken or the egg kind of things. Like, does the person avoid toe off and propulsion from the big toe because it hurt or it hurt in the past and that's their new normal? Or are they avoiding it just because they have a biomechanical and structural foot type that just lends themselves to not getting that first ray to the ground in the gait cycle? And is that coming from your more of your history and then your gait analysis whenever they're going through? Or how are you getting to that? Uh, history. Gait the gait analysis will look similar. Like right. those, would, those yeah. will look the same. Yeah. Uh, you can sometimes tell by looking at like corns on the feet or calluses. Like if they have hammer toes to where they're they're really gripping, you know that that was a longstanding problem. Uh, but the history is going to tell you if they had <clears throat> a uh, a bunion surgery or they had a history of turf toe or sesamoiditis to where they have a painful. Uh, just kind of a, a fear avoidance behavior of towing off of that big toe. Um, and sometimes just our footwear is going to, to encourage that because it's hard for you to uh, get big toe range of motion. Or if you're stiff and you wear a high heel, that's almost like hip flexion in someone with an anterior tilt of the pelvis. They're already starting out in more hip flexion. Right. If you have a, a huge heel lift you're already starting out in maybe end range big toe extension and you're just going to form bone spurs on the top of the foot or it's just going to make you more symptomatic the more elevated your heel is. Yeah, I mean, what you talk about the high heels. I mean, besides like the high heels you wear on Saturday nights or anything like that, yeah. but they're talking about the people going out and wearing like stilettos and stuff, right? Yeah. Like they're, they're wearing these six inch heels and then they're going to try to walk and usually you're not just walking from the car to the restaurant and back you're yeah. going to go walk around you're doing stuff being active yeah and then you're locking that great toe in and then you're going to wonder why i'm having these this pain up the chain right yeah and that's that's i'm sure you see that all the time with patients yeah and i was thinking about that this morning because i knew that we were going to be talking about this in you if you look at the way someone will compensate around a stiff and or painful big toe uh there it's no wonder why medial meniscus degenerative tears are so common 
because people are either going to stay on the outside of their foot or they're going to toe off and they're going to kind of roll that toe uh, and, and create that deformity, that angular deformity, that hallux valgus. Uh, and if you put a rotational valgus trauma through that medial meniscus over and over again, because you're avoiding a big toe that will extend, there's only a matter of time before you get a peripheral degenerative tear just from like you're, you're not using the knee as a hinge joint. You're just stressing that you're just stressing that ganglionous portion of the knee joint to, to the max. Yeah, for sure. I mean, that's, and again, then you t- take tissues that aren't supposed to move a certain way or supposed to like the knee is supposed to have some transverse plane movement, not a lot, but yeah. just a little bit. But whenever I talk a lot of this with Dr. Camo a lot, like whenever you're losing range of motion and joints below or above that knee is usually trying to take that range of motion and make up for it. Yeah. And then you're talking about medial meniscus and any of my listeners probably have heard me say this about a thousand times because I have a medial meniscus tear. Yeah. And like, I, I, you look at my great toe, it does, it does go valgus. And yeah. And I wonder if just from basketball, weightlifting, all that, that's where it came from. But yeah, I mean, you don't know chicken or the egg, right? That's yeah. What you're saying. And you have a recipe for disaster when you have triplanar joints that surround a hinge joint. Yes, exactly. Like it, it, the elbow is a bit different because you have more degrees of freedom and you have more mobility because it's a rotational and a hinge joint more than the eight to 12 degrees that you get out of the knee. Plus not weight bearing too. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Unless you're doing 19.4. <laughs> yeah. It's definitely weight bearing. Yeah. Was that the, was that the thrusters and the, no, that was the handstand. Oh, walk, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you went straight walk. to thrusters right after that, didn't you? Yeah. Yeah. So it, it didn't terrible. matter. You're always going to be weighted there anyway. Yeah. So, so CrossFit, yeah. you're pretty much, your elbows are weighted. I take yeah. that back. Yep. <laughs> so um, now you're, we're talking about great toe moving up to the knee. Now, the one big thing that I think a lot of people miss, too, is how the foot can actually affect into the hips, the spine, and above. So whenever you start to assess somebody and you're looking at somebody that maybe has a back pain or hip or maybe even going up a little higher, how do you take it down to look? Say, hey, I'm going to look at the great toe. Like, this is somewhere I need to go compared to being like, okay, well, maybe this is like a glute meat or something up there. Tom Thomas Myers has a very powerful quote that you have to... You have to look globally, examine locally, and then zoom back out again and and act globally. Uh, So I have to go, okay, like the kinetic chain works like you're throwing a stone into a pond and then the ripples spread out from there. So I'm going to start at the symptomatic area just to make sure that I'm not making this trickier than it has to be. Right. Uh, Because it takes a, a... a decent amount of communication ability to communicate that the person's pain is coming from their toe when it's really in their back. Right. It's a lot simpler to clear out those local tissues if there is a local problem because that's low hanging fruit. That's basically like, okay, if you have a ton of uh, deficits proximally, we want to address those before we just go chasing distally. Right. Um, but I look at the architecture of the kind of the, the tibial torsion piece first, uh, because a lot of people they'll have, uh, glute med posterior capsule SI joint issues just because they've been cued to walk with their feet straight or squat with their feet straight. And they have a huge amount of external tibial torsion. So they're basically impinging the front of their hip because they're walking around in a fadir, like in internal rotation, like, it'd be pigeon toed for someone with normal morphology in their, in their, their tibia. Uh, So I look there first uh, in, if somebody has a chronic history of big toe stiffness, 
it's going to be like a baby bunion Rudolph red, like staring at you right in the face. (laughs) And if you're a practitioner, you should make a habit of looking at people's feet, not just like not having them take their socks off because being in San Antonio, a third of this town is diabetic and someone (laughs) could have a, 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 a sore or a wound on their foot that they don't know about. And that could get pretty rowdy if they don't know about it and they're diabetic and that thing isn't healing. It's getting infected gangrenous. You have, you could set off a Charcot joint, osteomyelitis, like all these other gnarly things. So just have your patients take their socks off because then you can see their callus formation. You can see if they have corns on the top knuckles of the toes, just from friction rubbing, you can see, uh, where they're towing off. That's almost like looking at wear patterns on shoes. They don't lie. Uh, they're, they're just going to develop a callus formation. Uh, so I'm looking at the big toe extension and if it is dramatically reduced asymmetrically, like that's going to predispose someone to injury more than if they're just symmetrically stiff, right? Like if they're symmetrically stiff, they're just not efficient, but they're not at as high of high of a risk of injury is if you have five degrees of extension on one side and 35 degrees of extension on the other. And I completely agree. And there's a lot out right now about asymmetries not being a huge deal. And I think that asymmetries, no matter what, are going to play a part into your movement and your biomechanics. So you can't just ignore asymmetry because people say that asymmetries don't matter. Asymmetries do matter. Like like you just said, five degrees compared to 35 degrees on one side, that's going to change how you walk, how you move. I mean, especially if you're doing a crossfitter, think about all the things you have to do, boss jumps, lunges, all this stuff that you're going to be moving and you're pushing off that great toe. One side works, one side doesn't. Yeah. And you can't just go, okay, the big toe problems on this side. So it's going to march straight up that, that ipsilateral side, because like what you said, if they have an aversion to jumping or landing on that side, like they're going to go to the other side, overload it. And it's going to move the problem to the other side because there's no one size fits all rubric for left big toe is going to go to the right hip. Right. Uh, it just doesn't work that way because otherwise AI would have our job by now. Yep. Like <laughs> you have to look at it and be a critical thinker and go, okay, I, am I trying to make everything a big toe or is this legitimately a big toe? Uh, I actually, I'll look at people walk too and they'll almost have a Trendelenburg on that same side because they're going to want to stay on their lateral foot as long as possible. Uh, A lot of times they will hyperextend their knee and you'll get like distal hamstring complaints or popliteus complaints just because they're, they're trying to get as long of a stride as possible with a lack of propulsion off of that big toe. So they're going to stay on the outside of their foot. So you're going to get a weight shift. Uh, a lot of times that arm on the same side will shift across midline because they're trying to shift as much weight to keep them from falling over to that side. So you'll see an arm swing across midline a lot of times on the same side of the stiff big toe. Uh, and if you eccentrically stretch a glute med every time you take a step, like that may induce a tendinopathy or a trochanteric bursitis, retrotrochanteric pain. If you're towing out, you're going to take the mechanical advantage away from the piriformis to stabilize the anterior side of the SI joint. So you could have some some SI joint issues. Uh, You're going to have to take an asymmetrically longer stride on the opposite side. So you're going to have asymmetric stride length, maybe a little bit more anterior tilt on the other side. So it really can jump up the chain. 
Yeah, and boom, there you go. There's a great toe extension into low back pain right there. Yeah. <laughs> so you have a, you said a couple things that I'm going to see if I can get all of them. Yeah. There's some things I want to jump back into what you said. Absolutely. Uh, first is San Antonio. Uh, I don't blame anybody because I love tortillas and there's just, I mean, quesadillas everywhere. You've got some of the best Mexican food down here. That's going to be generally feeding into your diabetes. Yep. So, I mean, can't hate on them for that. Nope. Secondly, uh, you talked about just take the socks off. Look at the feet. Um there's a, there's a classmate of mine uh, now, Dr. Michael Houck. He was one of the first ones to ever say that to me. Um, just going through, like, I think we were just try threes or fours. And he said, Bo, whenever you look at people, what are you doing? And I just kind of told him, he goes, well, make sure you always take their socks off. And I was like, that's a really good point, Mike. And uh, and like, we just, just thought about that. And that's what I started doing people in, as an intern, even yeah. it's taking their shoes off. You look at, you can actually visually see what's changing in their body to try to compensate for how their walking pattern. Yeah, right? like that's another. I think that was a really, really good point. Yeah. Um, now AI. So uh, I work with Kinetisense, so I've got the functional movement screening, all that. The mm-hmm. new uh, functional planar mapping tool that we have. I screened someone uh, through the whole CAMS movement assessment, and they had a left sprained ankle, and it actually showed the stability compensation pattern for how the knee needed stability, the left glute needed stability, and went up to the right shoulder. So super cool. I was able to pa- follow that pathway, but then you think. Like you said, AI is not going to take our job. And that is a great point. This is just an assessment tool. Yes. What does the doctor do with that? And that's whenever the doc needs to be able to have this information and be able to use that information to treatment. Yeah. It's just like interpreting an MRI. Right. Like the, 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 the trap that we fall into is technology allows us to gather so much data that it's overwhelming. It's up to you to put your thinking cap on to go, how much of this actually matters? And what is clinically relevant because not everybody is obsessive and neurotic enough to care about everything that's wrong with them. Yep. Like you have to match this up with patient goals. That person could not give two shakes about their right shoulder because it doesn't hurt. Right. But if you don't let them, you, of course you need to let them know, Hey, this showed up on the scan. It could become a problem in the future. Uh, and if the person's like, absolutely, let's knock this out. Like, I don't want this to become a problem. Like I may be about to move across the country and then I lose your expertise or I'm about ready to get back into the gym and start hitting it hard. And I don't want issues. Overhead. <laughs> yes. Uh, but you have to really think like, okay, that's almost a trap of collecting too much data. Almost like uh, Dr. Andy Galpin and Brian McKenzie talked about in the book Unplugged. Yeah. Uh, we we have this quantified self movement where you can calculate and collect everything. You got people like Ben Greenfield and Tim Ferriss that are wearing continuous glucose monitors and like testing and tracking every single thing. And like, I'm surprised they can even walk around. They get blood work done so much. <laughs> They're like probably anemic, but we have to, as clinicians, like use the technology, but not let it take over our critical thinking skills. Exactly. Like we can't be like the modern day car mechanic where they just plug the computer in without taking the car for a drive and listening to the weird noise that the person's reporting it is making. We can't just go, okay, this is the error code. This may be the problem because the error code may be, oh, the O2 sensor's out. Yeah. Uh, but why the O2 sensor Caused go by out? something else, right. Uh, so you still have to be a critical thinker because our field is an art. Mm-hmm. And if you don't treat it as such, you will burn out, you will get bored, and you will look for something else. But if you treat it as a craft and an art, you will never get bored. You will always be humbled by how much we don't know or how much you disagree with what we thought five years ago. 
Um, so it's, it's pretty cool. Yeah. And I really like that. Uh, you're talking about the over information. So what, what the system actually does, it'll actually track the whole body and it'll take ranges of motions of all joints. And it give it, you can literally pull out every second of a movement and see exactly where the body is in space in three dimensions. But do you want to do that? And that's, that's my point is like you, like you're saying, you, you don't want over information. So all of that is condensed into like, Hey, here's the issue for this functional movement screen. And it gives you your top three and top three, which is great for a practitioner. Cause now I'm looking at top three, top three, because I promise you that anyone goes through a functional movement screen, they don't only have six dysfunctions. They're going to have a ton of dysfunction through their body, but you've got to find the ones that show up the most and all that, which can be fairly hard whenever you go through an FMS or an SFMA. You try to go through all that because you got to write everything down and try to take all that data and try to figure out, okay, what's causing what? What is this and this? And then you're, you can get lost. Like you said, you can get lost in the data. So if you're starting to look at it and you don't have something that's maybe like these are the top and these are the top, I'm looking at like, dang, okay, maybe maybe it's something that's going on with this, like a hamstring. Maybe I'm looking at like a psoas. What it could be anything, it could be pelvic floor. It could be anything going yeah. through. And that's I think that's something that's good to talk about too is getting people to be more focused and really, like you said, treat it like an art. Because what yeah. we're doing is we need to practice. We need to continue to be artists with what we're doing, and then get better at movement. We need to all be better at movement because, I mean, we know people are going to get uh, hurt, sick, whatever, just from not moving, lack of movement. Mm-hmm. But when they're moving, they need to be doing it right. Yeah. The whole Gray Cook thing. First, move well, then move often. Yep. Uh, and you look at people who break a hip, like the the hip fracture doesn't kill them. Uh, their lack of movement or them being in a hospital and getting some crazy nosocomial pneumonia kills them. Yeah. Uh, like our lymphatics thrive on movement. Like when people are sick, I tell them, unless it's like allergy driven with cedar out, I'm like, you got to go for a walk. Like you got to get those lymphatics going because otherwise the, the body thrives on movement. I'm about to turn this back to NCAA really quick. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> There's a, I can't remember if it was North Carolina or it was, I should, because it's a huge player, uh, big team, but they're talking about uh, something going on in his foot and his ankle. And they, they said, well, we could have put him in a, like in a walking cast or we could have put him in a movement, like something that's going to move more. But we said, they said it was going to heal faster if it was casted. And I immediately kind of stopped because everything that I've, I've worked with them when I do ankle sprains and I don't know if it's an ankle sprain, I'm not, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm not saying I know what's going on here, yeah. but when all I, cause I turned it on, it was a guy in a cast and they said, it's going to heal faster in a cast. And that's rare for me, unless it's a bone, if it's a bone, a bone break, then I'm like, yeah, then I mean, you got, you don't want to keep adding weight to that. But yeah. if it's an ankle or if it's anything in that, in the tissue, that tissue needs to move so it can pump. It's going to get nutrients to it. It's going to pump bad stuff out. I mean, you've got to keep the movement in there. And when I saw that, I was like, well, it's, might push them another week or two. Yeah. If you immobilize something for three days, the muscles start to atrophy. You get proprioceptive deficits. And yes, it may heal yeah. <laughs> faster in giant quotations, but how much rehab are you going to do on the back end? Or can you concurrently rehab it and use a lot of these are over conservative, uh, litigation driven solutions because people don't want to get sued. Because a lot of these big players, they're going to go out and they're going to sign multi-million dollar deals. Oh, yeah. And the doctor who maybe manages that with a little bit more freedom uh, rather than this like overly conservative Safe, approach yeah. uh, could get blamed for any chronic drag out. But if the the person plays it the absolute safest, like, oh, I'm not, never going to drive to work because I could get hit by a car. Right. Like. <laughs> 
well, enjoy your time at home. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but we can say, hey, wear your seatbelt, look both ways, uh, and don't go over the speed limit and go to work. I mean, you can uh, really enjoy your time at home, though. You have a huge dog here. That yes. Nissan is just the sweetest guy, too. I walk in, he goes, no, you're not afraid of dogs, are you? And I was like, nah, I'm not afraid of a dog. He opens the door and the dog's at my chest and I'm about six foot four. So it was just like, oh my gosh, that's the biggest dog I've ever seen. He would love it if I never went to work, but then we wouldn't be able to afford all the expensive food and toys and vet bills that yep. he enjoys. Oh, so From the big dog. Yeah, yeah, exactly. No, that's cool. I mean, um, like I said, I wasn't saying I know what's going on with that situation, yeah. but with with a cast and anything like that, you've got to be wary. And then my, my thought process is there's a reverse to that. Yes, you're being safe, and yes, you're being conscious, and yes, you're doing that for the athlete right now. But if you're losing proprioception and you're getting some atrophy and you're getting like a movement dysfunction, you're going to have, I mean, just talk about the basics like tightness, and it's going to be weaker, right? Those are not good words to use, but I mean, that's what it is. And if they come out of that cast and they go play in the NCAA tournament as high level as best as they can, are they going to be able to perform? Will that cause injury? Will that cause something else? Yeah. And that's my thing is like, yeah, well, okay, that foot might not get hurt, but what happens to their hip, their back, the shoulder, anything comes out that way because they've been, they have a major movement compensation now. Yeah. So that's what I think about when I see that. And I've used immobilization judiciously to where we may have a senior volleyball player <coughs> that has like needs to get exposure in the last bit of the season. Uh, and she may have early stages of a medial tibial stress syndrome or, maybe a borderline stress reaction to where you'd have to do thousands of dollars worth of imaging to see it, but she's got uh, edema and pain pushing on the tibia. Uh, I've put people like that in a boot when they're not playing and then they just take it off and play. Uh, I know that UT does that for a lot of the posterior tibial tendinopathies because these kids are walking all over campus loading that tendon, but that's a totally different scenario than your person in the general population who is just wanting to go and walk to the mailbox and get out of bed and right. not wake up with pain. That's a completely different uh, set of principles just because that's just purely load management. To right. Get that's through the load season. Then yeah, yeah. that's not specifically like, Oh, I have a major injury that happened too. There's no MOI. Yeah. Like that. That's just more of like, okay, I'm going to man That's management. Is what yeah. That is. Because yeah. a lot of these big programs, uh, like with this volleyball player, like I sent her over to uh, Daniel Martinez at Trinity, who does a ton of video analysis, force plate analysis, jumping mechanics in this girl was jumping like a flamingo and landing on that one leg. And she had a previous history of a high ankle sprain on that side. So it's just the perfect storm. But we weren't going to try and correct that mid season just because kids in four AP classes in the middle of the season, it's not going to be in the cards. Yeah. But after the season, you have to correct that. Uh, just like all those UT athletes, they're going to figure out why that tendinopathy arose uh, with some sort of system uh, and then fix it in the off season. And with, with your, your new venture, I think that's really cool because how many courses do you go to from an SFMA or FMS or TPI or racket fit to where you're learning these screens and you compare them to the other people in the class and they're all over the board. Yeah, zero like, to three. It could be anything. Like, it's like one of them will give you a one and the other one will give them a three. And yeah. like, 
you don't have this reliability and consistency. Whereas if you're using technology that takes a lot of the user human error out that's, of it. That's my biggest key too, is like, we, we all look at stuff differently anyway. So whenever we're looking at, we're, I mean, the human brain is going to make you look for certain things anyway, when you're looking at movement, where you're going to notice things, uh, something more than I'm going to notice. And I'll notice something more than you're going to notice something because it's something that we've seen more. And we try to stay away from that as best as we can, but occasionally it happens and you have that. So I had a, I had a basketball player up in medicine in Alberta, Canada, and uh, Dr. Kamo and I were working with her and she just kept having this post, like you're saying, the posterior tibialis was just getting lit up on her. It was the same thing. So all I did was kind of take her through a little bit of a movement screen. And I was like, oh, look at that. You have you have a lack of mobility in this ankle. You have a you have a little bit of stability issue in this hip. So we did a little bit. of We just added that little bit of rehab in, stripped her posterior tib out a little bit and got mm-hmm. into that calf and got into uh, the soleus and then she started to walk better and she was like, Oh, everything's starting to feel better. She's, and it was when I first touched that leg, that thing would not move. Like it was solid. Yeah. And then whenever, after a couple of weeks later, I could come in, I could actually move for gastro and mm-hmm. move everything through, which was yes. nice. That was good to see. That's awesome. And the, the big thing, and I want to mention it before I forget, uh, you're not going to get big toe range of motion gains overnight. Like right. this is not a joint that you're going to get a cavitation. You're going to adjust it and it's going to move 20 degrees more. Uh, I use the analogy of it's like breaking in a baseball mitt. Like it's daily progress and movement. Uh, just like when you're breaking in a baseball glove, you got to go play catch with it every day to break it in so that it moves better. Uh, the same thing goes for that. The, the biggest metatarsal and a huge joint with two sesamoid bones under it. It's going to take some some daily mobility stuff to get that moving because you have to have the requisite range of motion before we can correct your gait mechanics and your and your movement. If you don't have it, it's like asking me to dunk a basketball. Like, I don't have the hops to do it. You can tell me until you're blue in the face, but I can't do it unless you give me a trampoline. Oh, I thought like, you knew. I listened to an episode where you had a hops episode, so I thought I yeah. thought you would be dunking by now. No, no, I, I don't take my own medicine. Okay, uh, but you you got to get people just ex- expecting that. Hey, we're going to get one percent more mobility every day uh, if we try and bulldoze a mountain in one swipe. It's not going to turn out well. Uh, and then until that happens, though, I tend to put people in more of like a rocker bottom shoe, like a Hoka. They have a meta rocker and that will substitute for a lack of actual big toe extension. It will help them get that uh, four foot rocker and get them that toe off. Uh, And I've had a lot of people to where they've had four bunion surgeries. There's only a, there's a very limited amount that I'm able to do, but they do really well in a rocker bottom shoe. And then in their, in their boots or their dress shoes, we'll put a Morton insert in there. uh, And that will help them kind of, it basically puts the big toe on a lower level than the rest of the foot. So it's kind of cut out where the big toe to the, the metatarsal phalangeal joint, uh, and it just allows them to kind of drop down into the shoe a little bit more and get a little bit of false extension. Yeah. Uh, because a lot of times you just need those temporary interventions to get it calmed down to where it's not as inflamed so people can get their rehab done 
and they're not going to have to live in Hoka's the rest of their life. But Nis- Nissan can. just joined us again. Yes. Sorry, <laughs> the he's, big the big dog. <laughs> yes, he's he's looking at us like he's at the zoo. Watching. I don't think that door can hold that dog. He, he can come right through that door. If he wanted to join this podcast, he'd be in here. <laughs> he, he just he just has not quite managed mustered the brain power that that door pulls in rather than pushes out. Otherwise, he would not not be contained or he's really nice and not trying to break down that glass <laughs> i just think he's dumb <laughs> okay <laughs> we can go with that route too yeah no but i mean we keep coming back to uh rehab i mean rehab's an important thing and I, I preach this a lot because my analogy i use for patients is that rehab is your save button on a microsoft word you're not going to write a five to ten page essay and then not hit save at the end they're not going to do all this work with me in the clinic and then not hit save. Like you don't want to go through it. My myofascial does not feel good. I promise you, you're not going to like it. I know yours doesn't feel good. I've had it done. So that's what I'm saying though, is like patients are going to keep having to get more and more work done. And it's going to get more difficult over time because your body's going to start to adapt. And you're going to have huge gains, but if you don't rehab it, it's going to get harder to fix. Yeah. And like I tell people, all I'm doing with my hands is I'm shaking the etch a sketch so that your rehab works better. And if somebody isn't my age or older, they just look at me like with eyes glazed over. I'm like, just Google it later. And like, <laughs> yeah, they're like, what? <laughs> what is it? Oh, I, I just just got lost. I was gonna say that app where you used to draw uh, with the with the friends. Yeah, the draw something. Draw something. Yeah. That's what they know. We gotta switch to draw something. Yeah, something like that. <laughs> so uh, we got into a lot today. I think that was really good. Um, actually, we're gonna do this again. I say that quite a bit because the guests that I try to bring onto the show, uh, onto the podcast. I want them to be people that we want on again because you're a, just a wealth of knowledge. You've, ta- you've worked with tons of athletes, tons of people, not just athletes. You've worked with regular people, everything. And you've, yep. you've gotten to see – that's why I wanted you to talk about Great Toe Extension because you're going to be able to talk about it with the athlete that has issues and then the person that's wearing stilettos on the weekend that, that, that's causing an issue yeah. and it's from work. So I think that was really, really big. And thanks for joining us today. That was you great. Bet, man. It was fun. I'm more than happy to get together and you can pet Nissan and we'll, we'll drink coffee and, and record and nerd out. I was going to let Nissan, I was going to let Nissan sit on my lap. I had to sit on his back. I can ride that dog like as a horse. Yep. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, thanks doc. I appreciate you joining us. You bet, man. Thank you for listening to episode six of Kineticast. Dr. Askey and I got into how to look at the great toe and what compensations can happen from lack of motion. We also talked about being able to use the new functional planar mapping tool to rehab the dysfunctions that are affecting the patient's movement the most. This makes identifying the areas that need rehab very easy and lets you know if it's a stability or mobility issue and in what plane of motion. This means the new functional planar mapping tool will tell you if there's a mobility issue in a joint and tell you in which direction it's having the issue. So all you have to do is mobilize it in that direction to help correct the dysfunction. If you want more information about Kineticense, go to kineticense.com where you can book your free online demo. If you enjoyed this podcast, go onto your podcast app, subscribe, and leave us some feedback. On the next episode, we have author of The Oxygen Advantage, Patrick McKeown. He explains breathe light to breathe right and also talks about high altitude training and how you can recreate it no matter where you are just by changing your breathing pattern and nasal breathing. Again, thank you for listening to Dr. Askey and I talk about big toes for 30 minutes. I'm your host, Bo Sauls, and let's keep learning about movement, performance, and rehab together.